Welcome to episode 87 from the Shed End with myself, T-Dot, as always. Thank you very much for joining us, Theo. How are you doing? Not bad, thanks. Uh, rainy London here. Uh, we knew it was pouring down last night, but slightly better today. Uh, we're just talking offline how I feel the international break's gone quite quickly for once, which is quite a rare occasion, seeing usually they're quite dire and they seem to drag on, but this one seems to have gone quite quickly. But that being said, really looking forward to some Premier League action at the weekend, Chelsea, Aston Villa. We'll talk about that in a bit, but how's your week been so far? Yeah, good. Um, busy. But yeah, I think I always find with internationals, I have a really get heavily invested into them and I, I watch every single international game possible or I just lose all interest with them. And, and I feel like this was one of those moments where I just didn't have the motivation to watch any international football. I probably caught, I'm going to say about 20 minutes of every single like collated game of international football. So um, uh, I did sort of see bits and pieces online. I think Pulisic had a really good game. Uh, Levi Cowell, I think you're going to talk a bit about some of these games, but Levi Cowell, um, who else had a good game? Someone else, I'm missing someone key. Madweki. Madweki, yeah. Had a really brilliant game for for under-21s as well. So um, I still think, I mean, I want to ask you a question actually. What's your thoughts on playing internationals, qualifiers or friendlies or whatever at this point in the season where it's so pivotal for certain players and certain clubs. Like what's do you see do you see the logic in playing games at this point in the season or should they just wait till, you know, the end of the season and maybe play all these kind of qualifiers in a in almost like a, a group of of games rather than just try and fit them in when there's a little gap? Yeah, it's a tricky one to answer because at the same time you do want to give your, the players a summer holiday, which usually happens around June, July time. And then usually the players report back for pre-season start of July. So it will be hard to cram maybe four or five games in that June period when players should be, you know, jetting off to Mykonos or Marbella or wherever they choose to go, Saint-Tropez. But that being said, yeah, end of March time is usually when it's make or break for a lot of teams. It's the crunch part of the season. Uh, It can really break your momentum if you're doing well, which I kind of hope it did for Arsenal in a way. But but also I get a bit frustrated how all those teams you know fighting for for top four particularly united how they somehow always get away with some of their players being injured at that pivotal time i think it was marcus rashford um wasn't selected or pulled out of an injury and then he was seen in new york on holiday um yeah. same i think with thomas Partey with ghana i think he was back in training today but i think i might have read that he didn't play for ghana so it's a bit it's a bit like you know it's still important games where if you're selected, you need to report, but you can't be having these kind of little minor injuries preventing you from going if it's not the case. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's a good question because we do have them in September, you have them in October, then you have them in March and in June. So it's kind of those four windows where you get um, international football this season, season of bit of an exception. We had the world cup in December. So maybe we yeah. could have done without um, an international break in March. That being said, Euros next summer, a lot of qualifiers to play. So I think this was the first of the bunch. So yeah, from that perspective, it makes sense. Yeah, it's, um, so I mean, so you make some valid points. You know, obviously, there's still been a lot of talk about players not having the right recovery period in terms of off season and on season. And you know, they they I think at one point they had the the Nations League during one of the the summer breaks. So it might have been last year or the year before. But um, Modric was a player that I did see get a lot of criticism, I think, um, against England in that international for, for not potentially playing as well as he could. I think Paddy Shield as well, potentially, I think for the, uh, might be for the under-21 game. Um, I might be, might be wrong there, but he got a bit of criticism as well. And it seems to be, 
some players can turn it on for you know country you look at Pulisic who had, I think he scored a really good goal from what I got to see but do you think it's just that Mudrick hasn't really played a lot of football when you think back to some of the games that he hasn't played for for Chelsea um, why he's probably a bit rusty you know the fatigue and just kind of missing out on that kind of in-game form that you, you do need to keep consistently going for, for club and country yeah, like you mentioned, you didn't have the best of games. I, w- I wasn't able to watch the England-Ukraine game. I caught the last 10 minutes, but I believe he was subbed off after 60 minutes and he was quite crit- uh, criticised on, on Twitter. Um, I do agree with you. I think he does need a bit of a run, in, run of games to build that form and momentum and also more game time as well. I don't think he featured, he featured against um, Everton. Uh, he didn't feature against um, with Dortmund, I think, or, or Tottenham, one of those games. He had that... Um, start against Leicester which was quite promising but other than that we haven't really seen much of him um, this season since his cameo against Liverpool uh, at Anfield at the end of January um, so yeah I do think he needs a bit of um, game time a run of games in the first team to really build that form and confidence and I think that those 60 minutes against uh, England probably summed up you know how he's feeling right now about his game time and that being said I thought it was a solid England performance uh, defensively um, Chilwell left back um, did a decent job there so um, from that side it was it was positive Another another sort of defensive issue came up over the week as well with Rhys James pulling out of the squad for for England um, with a minor hamstring or minor thigh injury which has been what it's been reported as but it seems like it's an ongoing thing with Rhys James and I remember sort of saying this a couple of episodes ago that it feels like Rhys James will never get back to that level of also consistency without going, you know, a period of games without picking up some sort of injury or some sort of niggle or something. Um, but also, it does seem like he's one of these players that is just going to have to constantly be wrapped in cotton wool. But he is a bit of a concern, obviously, going into a big period now for us in terms of Chelsea in the season. But for to see Reece James pull out of the squad, more, I think, for precautionary reasons. But it does seem to be a, a reoccurring thing now with Reese James that he's, he's constantly either injured or there's a reason why he can't feature in a game. Is that, do you reckon that's a concern for, for us more so now as a club rather than country? Yeah, it is a bit of a concern. Um, he seems to be getting an injury every month or every two months. And a player of his age and his quality, we need him, we need him fit to almost play every single game. Uh, you compare him to a player like Thiago Silva, who's almost twice his age, and Thiago Silva. You know, he he rarely gets injured. I, I know he's injured at the moment and got that that injury against Tottenham, but that was that wasn't like muscle cramp or anything. It was a uh, Harry Kane who fell really awkwardly on his on his knee or his leg. Um, but yeah, it seems like he's that type of player. I don't know if it's because his calves are so big and he struggles to kind of maintain them, but. I think we really need, do need to wrap him up in cotton wool. And that's why when we talk about the Villa game on Saturday, I feel like I might potentially rest him for that game and keep him fresh for the, the, the game against Liverpool on Tuesday. It's a bit of a concern. And I, I know we spoke about sort of the the amount of muscle um, that he does carry as well. That could play a massive part. But I, I do worry. And maybe when we eventually get Malagosto fit again, and obviously he's back, he can play for us next season as well. Maybe that will, will give us a bit more reassurance going into those games that we can rest Reese James and, and have someone who can naturally play in that position, play there as well. So, um, but it is a concern for me. It's one of those things that I, I'm starting to think now, you know, the season before he got that mad injury, um, is that the best we're going to see for Reese James? Is that that real kind of critical part of his his career for me? Very, you know, still young, but I, I just think you know he's still picking up a lot of injuries, uh, small or big. Doesn't doesn't matter to me. He's he plays in a role that 
you can't really afford to have that many injuries um, because of the, the nature of the role that he plays in terms of the right wing back or the right back position. Um, but I agree with you, and we'll, we'll get onto that later, that he, he's going to be crucial, I think, for Tuesday's game more so than against Villa at the weekend. But another player that I want to talk about, Marcus Bettinelli, who has signed uh, another contract. He's here now until 2016, 2016. <laughs> I'll say that again because that's completely wrong. <laughs> 2026 is until he's here till he's not here till 2016. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Because we, we've spoke about Slanina on here, I think only two episodes ago. And there's obviously talk about one of or either Kepa or Mendy potentially going in the summer. Do you think that's a good bit of business from Chelsea just to maybe keep a player that we know is aware that he's not going to be first choice and he's happy to to be you know deputy for for the two keepers ahead of him? I think it's quite a sensible business. It's always hard, hard to find a goalkeeper that's happy to be third choice and probably knows that they'll probably never kick a ball or catch a ball on the pitch um, throughout the season. I think Bettinelli's last, um, last last time he started it was in that game against Chesterfield in the FA Cup in January 2022, which was quite a comfortable win against a non-league team. So, um, so yeah, I think um, it's quite sensible. Um, and I think as well it shows that... Um, potentially one of Kepa or Mendy will move on in the summer. And I think it's um, more likely to be the latter at this stage. Um, I don't know in terms of quality, how good he is now. Um, but I think he's that player that seems very settled in, um, in London. Um, I think having signed him from Fulham, yeah. he would have been, um, he would have been, I think around kind of the Cobham area. I think that's where they were, the Fulham Mossball Park, I think it's called, is nearby as well in a Morden and that kind of area. So I think he would have been settled with his family around Surrey. And I think he seems to have a really good relationship with the English boys, the likes of Gallagher, Reese James. I think you might have seen uh, Reese James put a little post up when he signed a new contract, like glad yeah. that a coffee club's been extended or something like that. Um, so it's always good to have those faces around the dressing room um, that can kind of, you know, be there for the, for the emotional support and the building that the, those relationships and those bonds. So I'm um, all for it. Um, it does seem like a bit of a long contract to be fair, to be giving to a third choice goalkeeper, but um, you know, especially at his age, I think he's in his early thirties now, maybe tend to give him maybe a one year or two year max, but, but yeah, um, good bit of business. And hopefully um, if he is a, still a decent keeper, we might see him in a preseason or, or um, should go um, or uh, one of the cup games early next season. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, it was a bit of a surprise for me because I, I do, I do think from watching Slanina, he's been really good, as I said, for the development squad. Um, and Bettinelli's a keeper. I think he he's aware of his position. He knows what he's there to do. He knows that he's potentially not the first choice goalkeeper at Chelsea at the moment, anyway. And I still think, regardless of who we keep or if we retain both Kepa and Mendy, I do think we do need other options in that in that department. I think if Bettinelli isn't for first choice and Selena potentially will go on loan next season, we do need someone to come in. So I think as a cover for whoever comes in or what are, you know the circumstances are at the end of the or the start of next season, whatever that is in terms of goalkeepers, I think this is a really good, you know, good choice. I think it's good to have a goalkeeper that's aware of the fact that he's not number one and he's willing to sort of do the um, the Scott Carson at what might, you know, he does at Man City, for instance, you know, he's, he's willing to sit there and take a wage and, you know, be called upon if he's needed. And I think you need someone like that in your squad who's able to do that. Doesn't really make a fuss that he's not, you know, first choice. He doesn't want to be first choice at the moment. And like you said, he's got a good relationship with some of the, you know, the, the, the Chelsea boys already at the moment in terms of 
the, the coffee club as well. So um, I think it's a good sign. I think that I think we're always going to see these the length, you know, the lengthy contracts now that that Bowley and the the board are, are willing to give to players, and I think that's something we're going to just see going forward. Potentially, there's some sort of clause in there. We don't know, but I think it's a good appointment. It's a good addition to having this in the squad as well. So we'll have to see how that pans out. Um, but yeah, I think um, I, I'm trying to think how many games has he has he featured in. I was trying to think that's that word. It's how yeah, this morning. I think just, it's just just the Chesterfield one. I think he played in a preseason one against Club America last summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think ideal situation for next year would be Bessinelli first choice, uh, Slanina out on loan maybe to a championship team. Uh, Kepa first choice, Mendy, I hate to say it, but sell Mendy and bring in another keeper as a second choice who can challenge Kepa for that first choice um, spot. your first choice then, you keep him... That's the thing, yeah. I I get a second keeper who could potentially overtake Kepa and be our number one. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I do agree. I think we need, I I suppose I'll flip it around slightly and say we need someone, I need, we need a goalkeeper for Kepa to challenge that goalkeeper. Hmm. That makes sense. So I think we need someone who's slightly better than Men- well, better than Mendy, slightly better than Kepa, but then Kepa to either offer his game or be resigned to the fact that he will be spending a lot of the season on the bench. So um, I suppose it doesn't really make a difference which way that is. But I think yeah, I think you're, you're right. I think you know, um, interesting for Salinino because I I would have expected there would have been some assurances when he signed for the club that potentially he would be involved at some point with the senior squad, whether that's this season, next season, season after that. So it will be interested now, what does that mean for him Yeah, as well? I think give, it, give him the Courtois kind of um, process, maybe send him out on loan to another team, couple, more than a couple of seasons, and then hopefully when he's ready, bring him back and like uh, give him a season as the second choice alongside a more experienced goalkeeper like Courtois got with um, Petr Cech. And then hopefully um, Slanina give it three or four seasons and he'll be on number one. But from what I've seen so far, it's been really, really promising. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, more, more outs to talk about, more outgoings. Um, first, Staffan, because Anthony Barry seems to be first on the list of people to be poached from Chelsea, uh, heading in the direction of Bayern Munich to meet back up with Thomas Tuchel, who they clearly had a really good relationship when they were both at Chelsea or when Thomas Tuchel was at Chelsea. Um, we haven't really spoke about Thomas Tuchel and I, I, probably because I've tried to avoid it um, as such. We've sort, sort of talked about it on WhatsApp, but really good appointment for Bayern Munich. I think we've both said that potentially now means that we might see a Napoli um, Bayern Munich final. I think we're going to see a bit more of this poaching from Thomas Tuchel. He knows what he had good at Chelsea. He knows who he needs from Chelsea to be able to do a good job at Bayern Munich. Do, do you see that Anthony Barry um, appointment, if it happens, um, a, a good one for, for both clubs? Or do you just see it as a Bayern Munich addition and we kind of lose out to some aspects? I think, yeah, I think it's the latter. I think um, it's more of a, a bigger boost for Bayern Munich and we're missing out Um I was reading up on um, Anthony Barry before the before we started recording, and he's very highly rated at Chelsea. He joined um, Lampard's coaching um, team in summer 2020. I think previously he'd worked um, for. I think he was from Wigan, yeah. And previously, he was part of the Portuguese and Irish um, national teams. I think he was on the coaching still teams there. there. Still, there. still there, so. there, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, I think he works alongside Ricardo Cavalier, doesn't he? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, very highly rated, and I think Chelsea are doing all they can to um, to keep him. In fact, and they haven't really agreed on a compensation with Bayern Munich. And I'm reading until that we until we agree a compensation should 
Barry forced to move and want to rejoin Tuchel at, uh, with Bayern Munich. Um, until then, apparently he's not being allowed to back at Cobham, uh, yeah. so uh, which isn't doesn't really spell good. Um, I feel like um, it's almost going to end in a you know him forcing the move away or him undoubtedly traveling to Germany and joining up with Tuchel. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of enjoying, it. I'm kind of liking that we're not letting him go easily because he, like I said, he's he is very valuable to us. He's very rated. I'm sure um, Lampard, Tuchel. Potter, all the managers that have worked alongside him, rate him. Um, but yeah, um, apparently we've already drafted a short list of play, um, coaches that can replace him. I haven't really read up on that list yet, but hopefully it's someone that can uh, fill in his boots. Yeah, I mean, it will be, a, I think it'll be a massive loss. I think he's, like you said, he's highly rated um, in and amongst the team, in and amongst the coaching staff as well. I did read a piece that he's um, very much responsible or has been responsible for set pieces at some point and I do think um, I mean that's one thing even if you look at uh, are we scoring enough or are we conceding I do think it could be a breath of fresh air for us and I, I love Anthony Bay. I think he's a you know he's a really good um, coach he's obviously been successful under numerous managers recently of recent times under uh, Chelsea but I do think you know it's just now time to bring in someone new as well. So I think that's where my question was going in terms of, yes, we're losing someone with really good experience and quality, but it's just now the time for us to move in a different direction and potentially bring someone in. And like you have not read that short list of uh, replacements, but I do think this could be the time to do that. Um, I would say ultimately, I think he does go to Bayern Munich. I think the fact that he's not a Cobham, the fact that there's a, a compensation package being discussed, even at that stage, tells you that he's going to go. Um, but it, I mean, you know, no, no one's um, irreplaceable. You know, I think we can we can replace him. And I, I, like I said, if he has been responsible for set pieces. We haven't scored that many and we've let in a lot of, I mean, I'm having flashbacks to James Ward-Prowse already. Um, so we haven't been good on corners and free kicks in terms of us, in terms of actually getting the ball past the first post, the first man, and letting a lot of goals from corners and free kicks. So is this now time to, to turn turn the page, start a new, new page? It's a good way to see it. I'd have to agree, actually. I mean... I'm not agreeing, but I'm um, kind of enjoying the every cloud has a silver lining type yeah. of um, way of looking at it. It's not, it's not Friday yet, but I've got some Friday <laughs> wisdom for, for everyone. Um, <laughs> we're recording this on a Thursday, so it does feel like a bit of a Friday. But another player, Mason Mount, who has been heavily tipped and I've, I've sort of tried to avoid it, especially during the international break, um, try to avoid the noise around Mason Mount and the fact that he's changed his uh, his agent now. He's got a new agent and a lot of things are, seem to be surfacing around the fact he will be facilitating a move in the summer. Um, I don't think we've spoke, or if we did, it might have been a while ago, but what's your thoughts on, on Mason Mount and the whole saga of will he sign a new contract, won't he? Does he go to Liverpool? And now obviously Bayern Munich have now come in to that conversation as well. What's your thoughts on everything surrounding Mason Mount at the moment? I think if he doesn't sign that contract before the summer, he'll be gone. He'll be gone because we know what Bodie said, that he wants players um, with one year left in their contract either to sign the deal or to to be sold. And there's no kind of letting them run down their contracts like we saw with Christensen and Rudiger last, last summer and risk losing them on the free. I think if we do sell Mason Mount, you're looking at easily between something between 60 and 100 million, I reckon. Um, especially if we're selling him last year, last year of his deal. Even I would say, even if you're selling him to a United or a Liverpool, I think you're looking at that because they're direct rivals. 
Um, I know that the new club that's entered the kind of rumours or talks is Tuchel's Bayern Munich now. Tuchel obviously a big admirer of Mason Mount. Um, I'd hate to see him leave, if I'm honest. I think he's a Cobham Academy boy. Um, back-to-back player of, the, player of the season for us. And I still think there's a player in there. You look at um, Rashford, how poor he was a couple of seasons ago and how he just rediscovered his form this year. I think the same thing will happen to Mason Mount. I think he's just had a bit of a poor form like Hazard did even in 2015, 2016. And then he had that competition at the Euros and all of a sudden he was our best player under Antonio Conte the following year. So um, I think we should keep him. I think we should give him a big contract, uh, sign him to a new deal um, and hope that he performs. And I do think, there's, like I said, he's a, he's, there's a player in there. Um, I know we're going to speak about it in a moment where we do have to sell a lot of players in the summer to meet um, kind of financial fair play and we're operating on a bit of a loss at the moment but uh, I think Mason Mount shouldn't be on that list of players that leaves in the summer um, I, I mentioned Tuchel wanting to poach some of our players Mount I think I also read that he's a big admirer of Kovacic as well who's been one of our better players and actually in the international break he scored twice for Croatia against Turkey and had a brilliant game against um, on international duty another we spoke about goalkeepers, but I think also I read that Tuchel might look at um, Edouard Mendy as well as um, an option. I think um, New Year's now a bit out of favour. I think he's not really liked having gone skiing over Christmas and injured himself. Um, <laughs> Some are a brilliant goalkeeper, but is he good enough to be their first choice long term? I don't know, but I think Tuchel might look at Mendy as an option. And like I say, if these players were to leave Chelsea, I'd much rather them go to Bayern Munich than you know, Kovacic to City, Mount to, to Liverpool. Because then we'd be strengthening rivals, and that's what we've kind of been doing recently with um with some of our players. You know, you look at Matic, Mata going to United. You look at Jorginho and Petr Cech going to Arsenal. Yeah, um, I think we need to, we need to stop doing that because you look at the clubs that sell us players from other te- from Premier League teams. There's not many. There really isn't many. Um, so I think we should stop selling our kind of good. But they, they still remain good players, and I think we should stop selling them to direct rivals. But um, back to Mason Mount, yeah, it's. Uh, it's frustrating, but like I said, if he doesn't sign that deal before maybe June, I think we should set a look, look to sell him. And I think as well as something I read that we can only we have to sell a certain amount of players before June, even or agree to sell them before June to meet that kind of financial fair play deadline, perhaps. It's it's it's, it's difficult because part of me sympathizes with Mason Mount a lot. He does not want an eight year, seven year deal that takes him up to when he's about 30 years of age or just beyond 30, I think. So he doesn't want this, you know, eight year, seven year deal that, you know, other players have, have happily signed and whatever. I don't even think it comes down to money or wages. I think the wage structure obviously would equate to how many years as well. So it, I don't think the money's issue. I think the, the length of the contract that Mason Mount's been offered is a big thing for him, which is, you know, it's his own right. Um, I think now that Bayern Munich have Thomas Tuchel and I think back to how Thomas Tuchel got some of the best, you know, out of Mason Mount as well. I would not be surprised if he ends up there. I I always think he would end up in in another English club. I don't see him really going abroad, but I think with Thomas Tuchel there, he has that pull, you know, Thomas Tuchel has that pull to, to potentially have someone who he's worked with before to come to the club and, you know, put the arm around the shoulder. Look, you know, they're not treating you the best at Chelsea. You know, come to, to Germany, things will be fine. That sort of mentality. Um, I think it will work for him. I think it's probably the best thing he could do, if I'm honest. And I agree with you, you know, I think there's still a, a really good player in Mason Mount, which is what I've said all along. Even when I've criticised him, I think there's a player, but when he's not playing bad, we have to call that out. But I think in terms of Mason Mount 
take him out of the limelight altogether, which is what Grandpa has done, but take him away from the English football. I think that would work for him. You know, he'd, I think he'd do really well in the Bundesliga. I really do. Um, under Thomas Tuchel as well. You know, they've got some really good players that he would bounce off as well and work really well with. Um, my only other sort of um, scenario that could end up with this is the fact that he doesn't actually sign a deal and he does run down his contract and then he moves somewhere else. And you tend to find players do that now. Um, so because they want the sort of additional add-on fees or the, you know, the agent gets more fees as well. You know, so that could be, you know, I think back to um, Aaron Ramsey, I think when he went to Juventus, I think as well, and he ended up, you know, getting a massive chunk of money that potentially would have gone to the club, but he ended up receiving it himself. And obviously his agent got paid a lot more for that. So there is that option that he does just decide not to renew. Would the club allow that? Possibly not. But then, you know, the valuation, like you said, you know, you're talking 100 mil. Is, is a club really going to want to come in and pay 100 million for someone who they can potentially get for free next year and give him the money? So it, it's, it's it's hard. It's difficult. And I did read that there's the, the talks are stalled. The talks are going to be recommencing in the summer. And as you've just said, you know, end of the season and June, you're talking a couple of weeks, a matter of weeks to try and get something, you know, inked on, on paper. So there's a lot to do in that short space of time. Um, do I want him to say yes, but I really don't see it happening. I really don't. Yeah. I think you spoke about it a bit on a, one of the recordings you did on YouTube over the, the international break, but I think Joao Felix, that's a key decider as well. Yeah. Um, we have to remember he's on loan, similar position to Mount. Um, I think we spend the big money on him. Can we afford to, to sign Mount on a new contract? Can we afford to have two players in a similar position, you know, fight for, for a spot in the first team next season? I don't know. And I think if you base it on form and you base it on who the fans want to kind of maybe see next season, I think currently right now is Joao Felix. So, um, yeah, it's quite another tricky one. And I do think that kind of Felix loan in January unsettled Mount, if I'm, if I'm honest as well. Um, I think Nkuku as well, that's a player coming in in the summer. He can play as a bit of a 10 or a centre forward. Um, another player that might unsettle Mount. So, I can kind of understand Mount's frustration, but like you, um, yeah, I'd much rather him stay. But we're talking about a matter of weeks to get that contract sorted now and it's looking more and more unlikely. Yeah, I think the fact he's changed his agent as well is a massive indicator to me that he's more likely to go than stay. But, you know, I'm not not in these conversations. I'm not a fly in the wall, unfortunately. But we spoke a lot about uh, players leaving and sort of the FFP. And I know there was an article that came out, I think I read it on The Athletic, um, to say that, you know, the club have announced that during Roman Abramovich's sanctions, so this is going back to um, the last sort of previous financial year, a, a loss of 121.3 million, um, a loss of revenue was recorded and reported, um, which I think is astronomical really for 21-22 for financial year. Um, I mean, a lot of that is down to a lot of factors, you know, COVID played a massive part. You think back to then as well. You think back to the fact we couldn't sell tickets. You know, we weren't able to to sell merch. I think the shop was closed. For how long How long was the, the mega store closed for? The club shop was closed and programs couldn't be sold as well. So there was a lot of things that you have to factor in, but that's still a massive lot of money. And obviously now you're talking about FFP as well. That's a lot of money to, to lose. What What's your thoughts on on losing a hundred or recording a reported loss of 121.3 million? I think, like you said, it's completely due to the sanctions. You look at, um, we secured European football. We um, we played Champions League last season. Uh, we would have played in numerous competitions. I'm talking Super Cup, Club World Cup for TV rights. 
But yeah, I think it's the sanctions. Like you said, we couldn't sell match day tickets. Um, we couldn't um, sell merch. The mega store wasn't open, I think, between March and until I think Boley finalized the takeover. No match day programs. I mean, this is a lot of revenue we're talking about on match days. And I think probably about 15 to 20 games, I'd say, were affected by those sanctions where you know, only season ticket holders could go who'd already paid their their ticket, you know, start of the season. Um, so, yeah, COVID sanctions, um, I think that's what kind of caused it. But um, it's a lot of money, like you said, a lot of money. And if this kind of affects us going forward this summer with the players that we might have to get rid of or players we might not be able to sign or areas of the um, of the squad we can't strengthen in, then it's going to be a huge blow for us. And we know who's to blame for that one, but I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's difficult because I think... I mean, I was reading the other day, and I don't know if it's been resolved now, but the the funds, the proceeds of the sale, are still held up in a in a almost like a, a frozen account somewhere that the government is still responsible for. And I think not. I mean, this won't make any difference to the, the loss that we're talking about, but just in terms of how suddenly it was needed to get rid of you know Roman Abramovich and the sale of the club, and it was all to you know feed the proceeds back to Ukraine. That hasn't happened, and we're talking almost a year on now. So. What was the urgency to to have those sanctions in place in the first place? It it, it doesn't really add up to me because if there was an urgency and it was to um, help the proceeds of the, you know to to help the Ukraine, it hasn't happened. So what was the urgent urgency to to put those sanctions in place? What 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 was the ultimate benefit of doing that? I don't see one. No, it's it's. Uh... There's a lot of questions that have to be asked about that period last end of last season. Um, a lot of it didn't make sense. Um, yeah, uh, very, very I, I'm not diplomatic really, yeah. there for you. I can see you trying to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but no, you're right. You are right. To be fair, it's, uh, I'll, I'll call him. Uh, yeah, let's say the, the former prime minister of the UK is to blame, <laughs> and the, the English government. Let's, let's put it like that. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of unanswered questions that go beyond football as well. I think you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't just stop at, you know, the football. But I think in terms of the loss, it obviously has a massive implication on FFP. We've just spoke about Mason Mount and there's a lot of other players, I think, um, that will need to be, and we've all, we've already said would need to be sold anyway. I think this, is, this isn't news. This isn't something that's just come out of the blue that we need to now sell players. I think there's a lot of players at the club who just need new challenges, you know, need new of life in a different club or to find their actual level of football. Um, you spoke about a couple already. I think you said about Mendy potentially being interested uh, with a move to Bayern Munich or vice versa. We've spoke about Mason Mal, but is there any other players that you would see? Obviously, Aspia Quetta for me is a big one, but is there any other players that you would see on a list, um, a, a, a fire sale, let's call it a fire sale of players um, that potentially will go in the summer to try and balance out those the books? I think, yeah, the the names you mentioned, I think the top two after that, um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, spotted in the Camp Nou um, yeah. dressing room, yeah. I think, um, after the Classico game. Um, he Clearly, his head's not with Chelsea anymore. Um, I, I can understand his frustration as well. Not in the Champions League squad, hasn't played a minute of football, I think, um, since that cameo against Tottenham. And since he was subbed on and subbed off, I think against, uh, was it City or Fulham, start of the season, um, so I think it's just for both parties. I think it's best that he leaves in the in the summer. I know we only signed him for ten million, but I think his wages are quite are quite hefty. So a move back to Barcelona or maybe the Turkish league or wherever he want he wants to go. I think that would be more sensible. Um, Hakim Ziyech, another one. Um, we know his move fell 
fell through um, fax fax machine related or David De Gea esque uh, again um, a couple of seasons ago. I think the email just didn't get sent in time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, like I always talk about, the guy's so active when he plays for Morocco on his Instagram, but when he plays for Chelsea, silence. Like, come on, play. You know, he clearly. I feel like he doesn't really play for the club anymore. He doesn't really feel any passion or emotion for the club. Um, and he hasn't been getting game time as well. So that's the part that's quite surprising. Um, so yeah, I think he needs to go as well in the summer. I think if PSG want to reactivate their, their interest in him, it's more than welcome. Um, obviously there's those players that you're still unsure. You're very unsure about any of the likes of Conor Gallagher, who nearly left for Everton in, uh, in January. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, whose name's always being mentioned every transfer window. Um, a lot of players out on loan, I think, that now kind of in that Deadwood category. Yeah. You're looking at Baba Rahman, who's still, I think, on loan at no, Reading. he's not. Is he? Did we not sell him? I think he is. No, no I think he's, oh, he's still no. part of the books, yeah. Um, <laughs> Malang Saar as well. Um, I was surprised he featured last season. Um, but yeah, a player that's not really ready yet. He's on loan at Monaco, and I don't think he's played much this, um, this season. Um, I hate to say, but Callum Hudson-Odoi, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. A player who had so much promise and potential had that big, you know, move on lined up for him to go to Bayern Munich. Turned it down, signed a new contract. It just hasn't really worked out for him. You know, he's played under numerous managers now. Um, he got, I think, injured against Luton. I think in the FA Cup, hasn't played a single minute of football for Chelsea since. Went out on loan at Bayer Le- um, to Bayer Leverkusen, and I don't think his numbers are that good at it's Bayer Leverkusen. He hasn't. He's played under two managers there, I think, um, currently Chabi Alonso, and I don't think he's really featured amongst both of them. Um, so that's a big decision we have to make um, with him in the summer. And I'm even given his performances, how much money would we get for him? Um, other players, yeah, Aspilicueta, I think, is one. Just it's best for both parties now, maybe to let him go and kind of leave as a, the hero and legend he is. Um, I'm going to ask you, is there any other names you'd include on that list? Well, the reason I brought this whole topic up was because I was on Twitter um, and good people at Re- Reactionary Blues who I think follow me and I follow them on my, my personal account, they pulled up a list of players that they would potentially sell. And a lot of them you've ticked off, but I'm just going to go through the list and see if you agree because there's some that I think will raise your eyebrows a little bit. So, um, and not because I don't agree with them, it's just obviously their opinion, but they've gone for obviously Edouard Mendy, Aspilicueta's on that list, Trevor Chalabar, Kulabali. There's, there's a, a, a couple of raised eyebrows already. I'm not even halfway down the list. Uh, Mark Kukurel, uh Mateo Kovacic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, Conor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, Armando Brouillard, uh, Romelu Lukaku, and um, Abamyang as well. So... Should we just sell the whole squad while we're at yeah, it as well? well this, is why I, <laughs> this is why I wanted your, your take on it because I didn't agree with the list, I'll be honest. I didn't agree with uh, Trevor being sold. I think Koulibaly, yes, you can say that he's had a, a, you know, he's been up and down this season, but I do think when he's when he plays and, you know, it's not a case of just selling the squad. I mean, we can't do that. We have to be, you know, these things have to be phased and you can't just get rid of all these players and then bring in players and expect all those new players and the players we brought in already this season to just gel next season. It's not going to work. So I, I agree with the list that you had. I think that the list that you had there, everyone on that list, I would add, I'd love to add Lukaku onto that list. Yeah. I, I, as soon as you mentioned the list, I was like, Lukaku, yeah, yeah, Lukaku, yeah. he should be fast on that list. I was waiting for to bring him up. I was waiting. But, yeah. um, I, I, my worry with Lukaku is I, I think it's, it, it's, 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 it's whether Todd Bowley wants to take that risk of not recouping the funds that were paid to bring him into the club. Um, you know, you're talking 
what's he worth now? 40 million, 50 million, 30 million. You know, um, it's, it's whether he wants to take that hit, hit or if he wants to give him a, you know, second shot or third chance um, at the club. So that's a massive question. But I think at this point, I agree with you. If they are Deadwood, and I, I don't want to put Lukaku in that, that bracket, but I think he's one of those that very much like Aubameyang, if we have someone who's quite toxic or quite disruptive around the squad and we're trying to build something, taking yeah. 10 steps back. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't class Lukaku as deadwood, but I class him as dead to the fans. That's what I'd say. <laughs> That's going to be the soundbite. Um, yeah, no, I, think, I agree with you. I think, you know, but then it does leave the question, obviously. I think Broya will need a loan. I mean, he's coming back from a massive yeah. injury. I don't think you can um, expect him to, to play much senior football at Chelsea next season. But I, I think there's a lot of players on that list. You know, Conor Gallagher, I think, would potentially get a move. Crystal Palace or Newcastle. You know, I spoke recently about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Has he hit the ceiling at Chelsea? I think he has, you know, in terms of, you know, yes, when he plays, he's, he plays well, but he's not, a consi- you know, you're not someone that I think of to start every single game for Chelsea at the moment. I don't understand Mark Cockeray being on that list. I don't think he's going anywhere because he's, you know, Graham Potter's, Day, he loves him and, you know, he's only recently come to the club, same with Kulabali. Trevor Chalabra, that doesn't really make sense. That doesn't make any sense to me because I think I'd rather see him go out on a loan, if anything, and that's like a push. But I, I do think he's going to be given a much more better role next season. You know, Gravadio is another one we've been linked with and I think we should just stick with Trevor Chalabar. You know, Levo Colwell's got to come back into this squad at some point as well and I think he's got another big part to play. But, um, It'll be interesting because I think there's got to be there's got to be a lot of sales before we even think about bringing anyone else in. But it's, it's scary times because you've got to hope that clubs want these players. What if no one wants the players? <laughs> what do we do then? But who's going to pay Lukaku's wages next season? That's what worries me. Um, I feel like you, you almost have, we're almost going to have to get on our knees and pray that into taking for another season on loan and then see what happens the next summer. But but yeah, a lot of questions to be asked this summer regarding our transfer business and also departures um, that go out on loan and players that come back, maybe that are on loans. I mean, I know we've got Zachariah, who um, I don't think will stay now. Um Datro Fofana, who I don't really understand why he didn't go out on loan in January, but I think um, Galatasaray were interested. Another player as well that needs a season out on loan to you know develop his football and gain some some confidence. Uh, like you mentioned, Amanda Broja uh, got badly injured before Christmas. A player that maybe needs to go out on loan next season again to rebuild his um, his fitness and his form. But yeah, it's going to be a very busy summer. I've got a feeling about that. And Malo Gusto coming back as well. Um, another player that we'll have in our squad next season. Yeah. Um, but like Potter's mentioned numerous times, it's a big squad to work with. So that's just a first indication. That's going to be trimmed down um, at the start of the summer. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I agree with you 100%. And just to, just to round up, I'm sure I read something, and don't quote me on this, but I read that if we miss out on the European places we won't be implicated by UEFA's FFP ruling as well. So I think in a way it would be good to miss out on European spots because then it doesn't mean that we're, we don't have to then comply with UEFA, I think, or something. So it could be a blessing in disguise if we finish 10th. Someone said that this is Bowley's plan to keep us 10th and part of his plan to keep us 10th to make sure we, we, we don't have to comply with the, the sort of rulings within UEFA. So Credit to credit to the hierarchy yeah. for that one, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again: every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, this is the this is the the motto we're going with um, for for this uh, episode. But let's talk about some good stuff as well. You know, um, came out this morning. I think that 
Petr Cech, Ashley Cole and John Terry have all been nominated to be inducted into the Hall of Fame for the, the Premier League, which is something that, you know, well deserved for all three of them. Um, what's your initial thoughts when that news was announced this morning about the three of them being nominated? Yeah, really well deserved. We're talking about, for me, um, best centre-back in the Premier League, best goalkeeper without a doubt and arguably the best left-back that's ever played in the Premier League. So they're all really well um, deserved to be there. Um, I think if one of the three should be on the, inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame first, it needs to be Petr Cech, in my opinion. Um, and I say that because we're talking about the goalkeeper of the most clean sheets in the history of the league. I think it's 202 um, out of 400 and something games and he's got the best um, clean sheet percentage per games he's played. So I think, um, yeah, it's got to be Petr Cech, but I think there's some other really good names on that list. Um, yeah, I think even Jermaine Defoe. Yeah, Jermaine Defoe, that's a really underrated player for me. Um, you've got Fidic, you've got Ferdinand, you've got Les Ferdinand. Um, so uh, all those players... Yeah. Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, Gary Neville, I think, um, yep. on top of my head. All the players there deserve to be um, in that Hall of Fame, in my opinion. I don't really know what kind of, what's the criteria is. I think it's the fans who vote and they only allowed three votes. I'm sure the Chelsea fans will be voting for those three Chelsea players. Um, but yeah, if um, at least two of the three can get into that Hall of Fame, I think it'll be a proud moment for a lot of Chelsea fans. Yeah, yep. I'd agree. I agree with you as well that Petr Cech, you know, is one that should be out of that, you know, um, group of, of nominees I think he's the one that stands out for me that should be and all of these players that are on here now you know go through this list and I'll put it on the screen um, when we, we do the edit but all of the players will get into this Hall of Fame I mean there's no questions about that they're all within their rights quality players and should all deservedly go into it but I think Petr Cech when you think about just the level of clean sheets you know the games that he played and he was the you know, should it, if not, should have been the man of the match in those games as well. Um, and to come back from that injury as well. I mean, I know people don't like to, to bring that up and use that as an excuse, but to come back from that injury um, that he picked up, um, I feel like, was it against Redding? Was it against Redding or? Redding, Redding? yeah. It was uh, yeah. Stephen Hunt, I think, wasn't it? Um, I still remember, I remember that clear as day. Um, you know, to come back from that injury, to still put in really good performances like that, you know, could change, you know, any player's, perspective of the game um and to still continue to do that at that top level for me as much as he went to Arsenal at the end which kind of ruined his legacy a little bit but um you know one of the best goalkeepers for me but I agree with you as well you know Jermaine Defoe, Les Ferdinand, Michael Owen you know uh, Vidic, Yaya Torres in that list as well so you you know he's amongst some of the best Premier League players of all time. Yeah but I think the other two Chelsea players that are on in the Hall of Fame already are Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba yeah. and I think if we talk next three Chelsea players that deserve to be on that yeah. list it's Ashley Cole Petr Cech and John Terry um, so like you said I think it's only a matter of time before those three um, get into the Hall of Fame just so we're on the same page and I know you're going to say yes but Ashley Cole has to be the best left back of all time, all time. 100% be, be, before Roberto Carlos, before any, I was about yeah, yeah. I was going to say Roberto Carlos. Oh, no. no, no, not for me, not for me. I, and I'm um, not to discredit Roberto Carlos at all, but overall, Ashley Cole. And this is not being me being biased because I I disliked Ashley Cole so much when he played for Arsenal. <laughs> and the day that Gallas moved to Arsenal and Ashley Cole came to Chelsea, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. And to be fair. 
Arsenal got the shittier end of the stick because Gallus didn't actually perform for them that well in the end. But and he wore the he wore the number ten shirt yeah. for them as well, which doesn't still doesn't he make does sense. That as a defender, like you don't do that. But um, you know, over time, Ashley Cole won me over, and he he is arguably the best left back I have ever watched play football. Yeah, ever. I mean that goal line clearance against Napoli. People don't talk about it enough, I think, but arguably probably won us the Champions League because had Napoli scored an extra goal, you don't know what would have happened in that second leg. Um, But yeah, fantastic footballer. I think we're going to have to do an episode, just, you know, pick footballers and talk about memories um, with them. But yeah, for me, best left back ever. And just quickly as well, John Terry, um, I think it resurfaced resurfaced this week that um, I think might be the anniversary of the the whole final where he ended up swallowing his tongue and... Um, I mean, that's what John Terry was all about, putting his life, everything on the line just to make sure the ball didn't hit the back of the net. Um, but which we're going to save this for another day because this is this is an hour's worth of conversation. But John Terry is up there, if not the best centre-back I think I've ever watched in the Premier League. Yeah, I know that United fans will say Vidic, um, so Arsenal fans Liverpool, will say Tony Liverpool Adams. Will say Van Dijk and I never get that. Yeah, part. Van Dijk or um, Carragher. But for me, it's just John Terry. You look at even even that season, I think when he was 30, 34 or 35 and played every single game in 2015 under Jose Mourinho that won us the Premier League. He's just a fantastic footballer and leader. And I know a lot of rival fans don't like him as a person, but every Chelsea fan that's met him will say how nice he is. Um, you know, he interacts with the fans so much on, 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 on social media and just a warrior. And you could also argue that maybe we probably have, we haven't really replaced him. I know we've got Thiago Silva now, but we've seen Thiago Silva at 38, 39, but imagine a prime Thiago Silva alongside John Terry. Would have been a, no one's getting such through. a spectacle to watch. No one's getting past it, even getting into the penalty box. Chance, yeah. chance. And to be honest with John Terry, just again, the goals. I mean, we forget how many goals yeah. he scored. You know, he's he wasn't just defensively, but offset pieces and just being in the in the box at the right time as well. Um, you know, he was he, he chipped in. Yeah, does he still have the record um, goal defender of the most goals? I, so. I think he's, that record still stands. I don't I know. So. If maybe Trent has overtaken him or something like that. But um, but I, you can't class Trent as a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, John John Terry, um, all round Waller player, um, fantastic leader and fantastic captain, captain leader legend. Yeah, long let it continue as well. Um, let's let's focus on Saturday, half five, massive game. I'm sick of saying that. Must win game. I'm sick of saying that. But these are the facts. These are must win massive games for us. Every game's massive, um, depending on how we want our season to go. But Aston Villa, who've hit a bit of good form. I mean, I've watched them previously um, before the international break. And, you know, Unai Emery's got them play some really good football. But going into this game, um, obviously there's going to be injuries, fatigue, and international breaks can cause a lot of mayhem for clubs. But what's your thoughts going into this game um, on Saturday against Villa? Tricky game. Like you said, they've picked up some form with Unai Emery. Um, unbeaten in March. I think they beat Bournemouth, they beat Everton, beat West Ham, I think, or drew West Ham. And I think they beat another team. And I, I think they're unbeaten since they lost to um, to Arsenal 4-2, I think, mid-February time. So Unai Emery's definitely turned their season around. I think it was, was it was it still Dean Smith before, yeah. before Unai Emery? Yeah, um, yeah I, I think um, it was the right move to do. And you look at the pedigree of Unai Emery, I know, he divided opinions of Arsenal fans, but I think three Europa Leagues in a row, Sevilla, Europa League with Villarreal. Yeah. Um, he knows how to win games and he's a good manager. And um, I think it's going to be a really tricky game tomorrow. I think, like we mentioned at the start of the pod, um, we've got Liverpool on Tuesday. 
which is a huge game for us. Um, and I think there's going to be some rotation in the team. There's going to be some players that played a lot of international football as well. You're talking Enzo, who's got um, traveling back from Argentina. Pulisic, I think, played against El Salvador. And um, Granada, I think he's in the semifinals of the Nations League equivalent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're going to be have some 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 long journeys to travel back from. Um, there's going to be some rotation, I think, um, and the game's at five thirty, like um, like you mentioned as well. So not a lot of time to recover between then and Tuesday. You're talking maybe forty eight hours max. Um, yeah, I'm expecting a tough game. Um, I think this was really kind of a challenge now for Graham Potter. It's that kind of squeaky bum time part of the season. Um, where you every game is almost a must win. There's no time to think. Okay, we lost this game, but there's you know more than a few games. I, I think it's probably not even ten more games left in the season. I think maybe less even. Um, and tricky games we still got left. You look after Villa. We've got Liverpool at home. We've got Arsenal and United away. I think at some point in April or May, um, we've got those back-to-back Champions League games against Madrid um, in April with Brighton at home squeezed in between. We can't afford to drop points in a game like this, but I don't know. What are you feeling for Saturday 5.30? Um, I mean, it's always going into these games, and I've said it on here before, I don't go in with the expectation. You know, it doesn't ruin my weekends anymore because I, I, I think I've just mm. resigned to the fact that whatever we play like is what we're going to play like. And, you know, this season has been written off for me. But I, I expect us, I mean, we've got a, a relatively good record against Villa. Um at home at Stamford Bridge so I expect us to to really and if we we're being honest you know based on the, the game against Everton that we should have won um, the way that we played against Leicester at the King Power I'm expecting us to still continue that form regardless of international break or not I think we should be able to go into that into that game with the momentum of still picking up points still getting the three points as well um, it is going to be tricky because obviously we, like you said we've got that short turnaround from Saturday to, to the Tuesday game at 8 o'clock on, on the Tuesday against Liverpool um, but again that's at home that's at Stamford Bridge as well so you know less travel time less you know disruption to, to people's routines uh, to the players' routines as well so you know it, it, it yeah, I mean, I, I expect us to to do really well against Villa. Um, they are, I mean, they're just below us and we're, we're level on points with them. So this is a game where, <laughs> I hate to say it, guys, but we could end up in the bottom half of the table if we lose, um, which I've been sort of flirting with for the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been saying it. So, you know, we do need to, to seriously win this game, you know, um, more so for just you don't want to be you don't want to be finishing the season in the bottom half, you know you don't want to be finishing the conference league position, but you don't want to be in the bottom half of the table. Um, and you know I always say the forty point mark is the mark for securing yourself, um, you know, Premiership survival for another season, and we have to hit that forty point mark. So for me, really, this is just a point of you know solidifying, you know, the fact that we don't want to be going down. We want to be trying to push up into the table as much as we can. Um, it'll be interesting how Potter lines up and it'll be interesting to see what he comes out with his press conference tomorrow, whether Reese James, you know, is out for the Liverpool game. I mean, that's a, that's another thing, you know, does he, does he still have recovery time that creeps into next week as well? Um, so that'd be a big thing as well. And Golo Kante, I'd love to see him back in that team. Now he's obviously, we, we didn't mention this, but he played a close behind closed game during the international break, which I think he posted about early this week on our social accounts. Um, has he Sterling Sterling back in training as well Sterling's now. back in training so I'm expecting some of these players to at least get minutes I'm not saying 
you know, Kante should start the game, or I'm not saying Stern should start the game, but at least give them some minutes now. Kante's got through, um, you know, a good period of a, a cl- behind the close, behind the doors closed game. Um, so he should be able to play something against, if not Liverpool, sorry, against the, not Aston Villa, at least against Liverpool. Um, but yeah, we should we should be able to beat Villa. I mean, yes, they picked up some good form, but on paper, the team. <laughs> Both teams have sort of been in and out of form, infrequent. I think we should be able to beat them. I, I really do. Um, it'd be interesting. Your predictions. Um, Might as well, I feel. Yeah, you've made me go first, which I hate doing. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go 1-0 Chelsea. I'm going to go 1-0 Chelsea. I, I think we'll keep a clean sheet. Um, it'd be, again, defensively, how does he set up? If it's a back free with the wing backs then I think we'll be we'll, we'll be okay but you know Thiago Silva how long is he out for is he uh, you know we haven't really had much of an update Paddy Schill Wesley Fofana yeah um, Fofana's a big one as well because he had to pull out the um, front a French national team and it was the first time he was called up um, so I think it'll be his press conference tomorrow past his press conference would be quite interesting to see who's fit who's got a chance of making a squad but I'm not as optimistic as you. I think, um, like I spoke about Villa's form and a player that particularly stands out, Ollie Watkins, I think he'll nick a goal. He, he's, he's, he's been good this season. So and you look at that Everton game, all those chances we had, we just couldn't kill the game off and then we let Everton back into the game. So I think it will be a 1-1 draw. Optimistic. I'm optimistic. I'm going to stick up. I mean, they've got a good squad. You look at Jacob Rabsey, Rabsey you look at Leon Bailey, uh, Buendia, uh, Douglas Louise, John McGinn. Um, they're back. I mean, even Tyrone Mings has been putting in really good performances for them, you know, when he's been playing. Um, Martinez is it's having yeah. the life of yeah. his time as well on goal. So they have got a really good squad, but on paper, I think we should just nick this game. We should be able to do it 1-0. Yeah. Man of the match, Enzo performance. That's it. I mean, he scored a goal for, for Argentina as well. Um, slightly higher up the pitch is what I've been crying out for, for Enzo Fernandez to be played slightly higher up. And he looked like he was doing that from what I got to see for Argentina, like a 20 second clip. Um, but he's got to be more central, more advanced in, in our team for me. But N'Golo Kante coming back in might allow him to, to do that. So Potter's got a massive uh, dilemma on his hands this weekend. A good game. I'm going 5.30 tomorrow. I still don't know where I'm sat because I've got a Saturday. couple of tickets. I wish, I wish and... it was Friday today for you. So. <laughs> it feels like a Friday now. It feels up. like a Friday. <laughs> uh, still one more day to go at the at the office. But but yeah, Saturday, 5.30 kickoff, two days to go. Um, looking forward to it. It'll be good to be back at Stamford Bridge. Did, did you uh, let's hope for a draw. As well. Yeah, it's, it's still waiting for a mate to tell me if he's got uh, okay. season tickets. Okay. Um, but I think it might be West Lower or Shed Upper, which I like. Yeah, yeah it'd be good. It'd be good. And you secured your uh, your Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention it. Um, going to Madrid away on um, 12th of, of April. Um, first time in Madrid. First time at the Bernabeu. I have to swing to get there by what you were saying. Yeah, flights were expensive. We're having out. to fly to Valencia. Valencia and then take a train from Valencia to Madrid and on the way back it's train back to Valencia Valencia Dusseldorf Dusseldorf oh, London wow. <laughs> yeah it's, it's going to be a bit of a trek a bit of a journey that's but it's bad. all part of the away experiences yeah, yeah that's yeah. not bad that means you get to see more while you're away so I think it's all it's all good to be fair isn't it I think it's good um, so yeah you should enjoy that one as well but yeah predictions are in we'll um, obviously listen into Graham Potter's 
1.30, hopefully it's 1.30 tomorrow. Um, his press conference team news should be out, then injury news as well. So, um, yeah, let's hope let's hope one of us is right, I think. So what did you say? Let's you. You said 1-1, one, one, didn't hope, you? Yeah, let's hope you're right, not me. I'll take 1-1. One, one. I'll take 1-1 one, one based off an international break because, again, I have flashbacks to that West Brom game. I'm sure that was after yeah. the um, international break it as was well. Th- this time, this time, yeah. two or three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So I'll take a, I'll take a one, one against Villa, but um, Theo, as always, thank you very much for the, for the conversation. It's always good. And uh, hopefully we get three points. We need it. We don't want to be in the bottom end of the table or bottom half of the table come Sunday, going into that crucial game against Liverpool as well, which we'll talk about, I think over the next couple of days or so, but thank you very much for joining in the discussion. Enjoy the game as well. Cheers. I'm sure you will, as always. Um, this has been episode 87. Don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you like, share, put your comments in the comments description uh, section as well. Make sure you hit that link tree link in the description. That takes to all our social accounts and previous podcast episodes as well. This has been a- episode 87 from The Shed End. Thank you very much for watching. <laughs>